0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Let every
1: man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. And you say, well, how how does wrath come into receiving God's word? Because when you receive something that is different than what you believe, you can become incredibly angry.
0: Delivering and sharing God's Word takes humility, discernment, and seeking God wholeheartedly to identify and develop the gift that God has given. James has some words of wisdom for us when we have a hunger to hear and act upon God's Word, and especially when we feel we are being called to teach it. We continue with more from last time out of James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson.
1: we respond to temptation by fighting against it. By realizing that temptation can take us down. And that the end result of it is death. And that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Isn't that a great verse? Hey we might think that what we need is sin. We might think there is something about sin that we need. But every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And now he gives us the third test. And that is the way we approach the word of God. If you say today. I don't think that the Bible's true. I don't think it's God's Word. I don't think that God told us what He wants from us or how to live. Then there's a lack of genuineness. Now, I'm not saying that you definitely are not a Christian. I'm just saying you don't have a lot of confidence. You've got to have that belief in God's Word. When, when you become a Christian, you fall in love with the word of God. It's something that happens. There's a desire to be obedient. And in that desire to be obedient, you have a love for God's word. There ought to be a hunger for it. It is the milk and meat by which we grow. Without it, you don't grow. We need to memorize God's word. Get, you know, some index cards. Write out scriptures. Put them around. Memorize them. If you memorize God's word, the Holy Spirit can bring them back up to you. Uh, Find scriptures to memorize There's an app for that There's all kinds of memory apps For both iPhones and Androids (laughs) Alright Got a couple people on staff That are big Android people So have to give them One of them had on his phone The iPhone killer I have an iPhone by the way If you don't know So he would put a little thing on there iPhone killer I won't tell you who it is But he's one of our worship leaders Gabe, and anyway, um, and uh, he kept having to change it because he had to keep getting new phones. So it was the next iPhone killer, the next iPhone killer, the next iPhone killer. So I still have the iPhone, I told him, what's the next iPhone killer? He said, I didn't put it on. So he just, now he gave up completely. Anyway, that's a complete side note to all of that. I'm just encouraging you, do whatever you've got to do to memorize God's word. Memorize it, study it, read it, bring it into your life. Now, we ended with verse 12, and we talked about the transformation that takes place in us so that we are no longer slaves to sin and temptation, connecting it with the, the passage or the section before it. But he also, in this verse, verse 18, introduces the new topic, which is the word. Look at verse 18. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. It was by the word of God that you were born again. You were not born again by osmosis. You were not born again because somebody told you, you can be born again, figure it out. You were born again when you heard the gospel, the word of truth. Somebody told you that Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for you. And if you would receive him into your life, if you would surrender to him, if you would repent from your sins, that you can be born again. And when that word of truth got inside of you and you believed it, because the Bible says if you believe you will be saved, then you were transformed. You became someone new. If any man is in Christ, the Bible says he's a new creation. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. That happened by the word of God. That's why we can't preach the gospel without the word of God. It's got to be there. Otherwise, we are totally and completely lost. That's why churches that say, well, we don't center, or we we don't, we don't follow the Bible, we don't preach the Bible all the time, we have a lot of different positive things we cover, are so lost because there's nothing else that can save you. The word of God is the power of God to salvation, Paul uh, makes his way from Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, over to what is Europe now, Macedonia back then. Paul starts in Philippi. He turns and he goes to another city, and then he finally ends up in Athens. He's in Athens for a little while by himself, and there's a place in Athens called Mars Hill. It's a place where philosophers would gather together under the Greek culture, and they would argue their different philosophies. And so Paul puts together this message And in Paul's message he quotes their philosophers He talks about a statue to the unknown God that's there in their city Paul brings it up And after Paul is done it says some of them believed And some said we'll hear you on another day And then there's a disturbance that ends up happening And Paul ends up leaving Athens Athens is a significant city in Greece Was a, a significant ancient city in Greece But we don't know of any church that started there we don't have the letter to the Athenians. We don't have uh, any reference to a church that was founded there. When Paul went to the next town, which was Corinth, Paul showed up and he didn't go with any worldly wisdom. He actually says that. When you're reading 1 Corinthians, he says, when I came to you guys, I didn't come with, with worldly wisdom. Was he making a reference to his Mars Hill speech, perhaps? I don't know. Maybe. There are those that take the Mars Hill speech and say that's how our our sermon should be designed. We should take cultural things and add them in. When Paul said, when I came to you, I came to you with the power of the gospel because the power of the gospel is God's salvation. That's what he told them. When he came to Corinth, he just went there and told them about the gospel. Jesus dying on the cross for their sins, the renewed life that they could have. And And a radical church started in Corinth. Now, one that had significant problems, granted... But well, we ought to be glad that Corinth had significant problems because we have the corrections in First and Second Corinthians so that we don't make the same mistakes. They were kind of the test church, so we don't want to be too hard on them. We thank them that they had the struggles so that we don't have to have the same struggles that they had. We can learn from them by studying those. But it was the very word of God that got in them and changed them and began to work. And it's the word of God that has brought us to salvation. It says, verse 18, we've been brought forth by the word of truth. That what might be a kind of first fruits of all creation. So then he says in verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now, I told you when we started the book of of James that a lot of people see the book of James as uh, the kind of Proverbs of the New Testament. They take each verse on its own and and that James is just kind of quickly going through these topics. But he's not. When you, see, when you step back and you look at the bigger picture, you can see his thoughts moving. You see it move from trials to temptations and now from temptations to the word of God. Now, there are a lot of Proverbs that say, it is wise to keep your mouth shut and to listen. There, there's Proverbs that tell us that when we open up our mouths, people can think that we're fools. So it's better to keep them shut. What, what is it that someone said, Right? Better to stay quiet and let people think you're a fool than to open up your mouth and remove all doubt. (laughs) Now, that's not quite a proverb, but it comes from some thoughts in Proverbs about being slow to speak and about being quick to hear. The wise man is a man that listens. A a foolish man is a man who is quick to talk, always ready to get his opinion out there, always ready to tell people what he thinks. That's the, the foolish guy. This is not, I don't believe, that he's just giving, you know, kind of the Proverbs summed up here in the New Testament. I think the context now is the Word of God. And I think he's saying to us, first of all, be quick to listen to the Word of God. In fact, let's go back to read it so I get it in its right order, okay? Verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, and that's a phrase that he uses over and over again as we make our way through the book of James, my beloved brethren, he has a fondness for them, as there is supposed to be a fondness within the body of Christ always, let every man be swift to hear. First of all, there needs to be an eagerness to hear the word of God. Like the Bereans who were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians because they received the word of God with all joy, but they searched the Scriptures whether or not to see those things were true. There needs to be a hunger to hear God's word. I love teaching here. Because there's such a hunger for God's word. Most places that I have gone to guest speak for, you can see a hunger for the word of God. But there have been places that I have gone where there really is no hunger for God's word. That desire, Lord, I want to hear it. Do you still have that hunger for his word? Do you still want to learn? Do you still want to grow? Do you just want to, are you coming to church just like, you know, to audit the class? Or is there really a desire to get God's word into your life? Again, I'll fall back on be quick to listen. It's like not only to listen to people, but listen to God and his word and grow. And just let it come and be slow to speak. They'll be ready. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 1, it's going to say, let not many of you be teachers. I take it that in the early church, there was a problem with a lot of people wanting to be teachers. The problem with a lot of people wanting to be teachers is that a lot of them, aren't ready to speak. Maybe God's even giving them the gift, but they're just not ready. There's nothing worse than somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about, trying to tell you what you ought to be doing. Now, I, I golf. I have, I don't think, I, I think I've never used a golf analogy in the message because there's nothing that annoys me more than pastors who have golf analogies constantly in their messages, But I'm going to use one tonight. This is the first time you guys are here for it, okay? Because it fits so well. Those of you that golf, you're going to understand this analogy. How many of you here? Golf, raise your hands. All right, you guys are going to understand this analogy. You show up at the course with you and a buddy, or you and a gal, pal. And you get connected up with a couple other people. And you can tell, once you've golfed for a while, you can tell the handicap of an individual about by their swing If their swing is smooth If their swing is, you know, on plane If they don't stumble around when they're done If it looks halfway decent They probably got a lower handicap If they're like, go through all of these gyrations to hit the ball Then you go, whoa Sometimes when you're playing with somebody new and You watch them swing, you go, I can't watch that for 18 holes I cannot do that <laughs> And hey, you look on, on the tour there's different swings Jim Furyk brings the club straight up in the air But then brings it back down to the proper spot When he comes back in So there are variations But when you're playing sometimes So I'm with a friend I won't tell you who it is Maybe I will But I won't tell you who it is And he's having a tough day And we're, we're hooked up with a couple of guys and one of them has From his first swing It was like Wow that is not good But he was having the round of his life He was like four or five over, okay, so it wasn't like incredible, but you could tell when he was swinging that that ball's going down the middle, but I don't know how it got going down the middle of the fairway, because that, well, the buddy who I was with was struggling and having some trouble, and he was like saying things like, I don't understand, I don't understand what's going on, I don't understand, which golf can be frustrating, right, and uh, all of a sudden this guy pops up, well, you know, and I can't remember the piece of advice that he gave him, but, he, but he, you know what you're doing is you're doing this and you're that. And I look at that guy and I go, <laughs> you're going to teach him? So I said, what's your handicap? A handicap, for those of you who don't know, is determined determine that how, you know, it's basically how many strokes you're going to get. A high handicap is 15, 20, okay? So the guy says to me, he sees it, he knows where I'm going with it. Because it's like, what are, what are you, as a high handicap, why are you trying to teach anybody how to swing a golf club? Okay, if you don't understand how to do it, you want somebody who is a a low handicap to tell you. And the rule on the golf course is, if they don't ask, don't tell them. That includes you, husbands, by the way. Golf with your wives, okay? Nothing worse than being put with a husband and wife, and the husband's like, no, honey, you're looking up again. Keep your head down. (laughs) Nothing worse. Anyway, now you're getting all my golf stuff, all right? So, So this guy says, well, I'm a 15. Well, if he's a 15, I'm scratch, and I'm not scratch, okay? If he's a 15... I should be on the tour. Because he's not a 15. Okay? He was like a 25 or a 30 or something. Okay, and, uh, But he says, I'm a 15. I'm a and then he goes, oh, everything's going to fall apart now. I, I realize that. Now the point is that somebody who is not so good at golf shouldn't be giving golf lessons. Because they don't know what they're doing. And so in the kingdom of God we become Christians, we meet the Lord for a couple of months, and like, give me a Bible, let me go teach, I'm ready to tell people how they ought to live for Jesus, how they ought to live their marriages, how you handle teenagers, because I am God's gift to the church. <laughs> well, maybe you are, and maybe you've got a strong gift for teaching. But let's take some time. <laughs> let's give it a couple months before you start teaching. Let's, let's let you learn the, the, the biblical swing. Learn the slot. Learn, learn how before you start going out and, and, and wanting to be a teacher. Humble yourself. When you just come to Christ and all of a sudden you're like, here I am and I want to be, I'm a Bible teacher and I'm going to go ahead and fire it off. And so James says, don't let many of you be teachers. It's way too many of you. You're all running around. You're telling people things that are as out of it as it could possibly be. There may be some truths, but the nuances of how things apply just take time. God gives teachers to the church, but realize that when you, when you start speaking for God, when you start speaking God's word, you are under a stronger condemnation. You now, God expects you to live what you're speaking that's a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing to know that whatever you're teaching, God says, you, first of all, buddy, live it. And, and second, got to give an account for the very people that you are teaching. So that it should be a scary thing. Now, I'm not do, saying that to discourage those of you that have a true gift of teaching to be teachers, but I am saying that to discourage those of you who may not. You may just see the teaching role and you say, you know, and I really want to be a teacher. Hey, make sure you've got the gift of teaching. Make sure that God's given that to you. And if you do have that gift of teaching, then then take time with it. Be quick to hear. Take it in. Receive God's word and slow to speak. Give out the information that you've learned and you've learned well. And that takes time. And so he goes on to say in 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. And you say, well, how, how does wrath come into receiving God's word? Because when you receive something that is different than what you believe, you can become incredibly angry. And I've got letters and emails that can prove that. When I teach something that's different than what you've heard or maybe different than what you believe... Then it's easy to get angry about it. And when we think about we're getting angry about the word of God, we should be able to discuss things. We should be able to interact with one another. We shouldn't be argumentative, right? And I'm gonna suggest that if you're angry, because we've talked about a doctrine that you lean towards as not being true, that perhaps, maybe, just a little bit, you're defensive. Maybe, instead of saying, you ought to be confident with any doctrine you believe, you ought to be able to say, go ahead, shoot holes at it. Go ahead. If you believe it, you ought to be able to defend it. And you ought to be able to to take it when someone starts tearing it down. But if you said that's what I believe, and you said that against it. Well, if it's true, then it can withstand anything, right? If it's true... Then you don't gotta worry about it. So so why get so upset if someone starts to speak against something that perhaps you've learned or grew up in or that's in a church and say, I don't know if that's true. Years ago I was in Matthew, the same passage we covered this last week, and I talked about the fire there being the fire of the trees after they're cut down. Remember there in Matthew, it talks about that Jesus has the winnowing fan in his hand, and it says that he goes up to a fruit tree, and if there's no fruit on that tree, he cuts it down, he throws the tree into the fire. Then John says, there's coming one after me whose sandal straps I'm not able to loosen up and he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire and his winnowing hand is in his fan and he'll gather the grain into the barn but he's going to burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. And I pointed out that context, the fruit trees are burned, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire and the unquenchable fire for the chaff are all three fires of judgment by context. Well, years ago, I I covered the same thing. I'm talking 20 years ago. And there's a gal that as I'm speaking it, she became just physically angry. And afterwards, I was done, and she beelined right up to where I was, and she just came unglued. I mean, psycho. <laughs> where I'm trying to calm her down a little bit, I'm like, hey, you know what? We can have differences. It's okay. It's okay that you believe that that's the fire of the Holy Spirit, and it's okay that I don't. That's all right. Woo it wasn't... All right. She left the church and never came back again. She believed everything that we believe about Jesus, about baptism, about death and resurrection, everything. But if I didn't believe that that baptism mentioned there was the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, then she was angry. Why get so angry over that? Now, hey, if you... If you hear something, if you believe something, and you hear it, and you are questioned, you question about it now, and you say, well, Pastor Robert, you don't believe what I've been brought up with, or you don't believe what I believe, then just double-check what you believe. Just with an open heart and mind, go back and look at it. And if you go, no, I think that's right. I think Pastor Robert's wrong. You can be wrong if you want to. No. <laughs> you, can, you can believe something different there are those that come to the church that don't believe that the rapture of the church is before the tribulation period. I don't know how that could be, but (laughs) see, here I go, right? But hey, I have great fellowship with others that believe things differently than what I do. It's okay. And if I'm confident in what I believe, then there's not going to be a wrath that comes in. And why would we get all angry when it comes to different truths about God's word? Now, when we start talking about those that hit on the the heart of the word of God, then we could talk about defending the faith. But I still don't know that that any anger is gonna accomplish anything for God. That's what it goes on to say here in the next verse. It says, uh, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When you're hearing God's word and you become angry, you're not gonna produce the righteousness of God through that anger. Rather, we should be able to teach uh, without arguing right so the bible says it was at first timothy that the the servant of god must not quarrel but be able to teach in in humility convincing those that are in opposition we ought to be able to go up and say hey i don't think you're right about the fire of the holy spirit because when they were baptized by the holy spirit in acts chapter 2 there were tongues of fire that lit on their head and so you ought to be able to take your points and and say them without being super angry. It's going to be, it's going to work out a lot better in the long run anyway. If you say, well, no, I do believe that, that you can lose your salvation, or I do believe that you can't lose, your, you know, you're, if you can articulate it, and if you're confident in it, you're probably not going to get mad. If you're not confident in it, you very well could get mad, but that's a lack of confidence. The more you learn and study it and believe it, and know it, know why you believe what you believe, the more confident you're going to be in it. Because God's righteousness is produced in us as we are quick to hear his word, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And we will not go on to verse 21 because I'm completely out of time. How do we only get get a fifth of what I had planned and prepared? Stand with me, would you? Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for your word and we want to be quick to hear it. And we want to be slow to speak, we want to make sure that we, when we articulate, that we are articulating your truths and your word, to think about speaking for you, what an what a incredible place to be. What an incredible responsibility to have. And Lord, that we would be tender-hearted, loving and kind towards one another. that when something is said that's different than what we believe, or when a passage is looked at differently than what we've been taught or than what we believe it is may we just be gracious able to interact able to talk with one another able to really express why we believe what we believe and perhaps we'll be persuaded the lord we realize that angry, anger about these things is never going to accomplish anything and so we pray that you would help us be those that receive your word that first of all our hearts would be ready to hear ready to take ready to receive your word We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus south of Palo Verde and I-10 meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org